and she could tell I was not having a good time and not always where I was supposed to be when I was supposed to be there. And she was getting very worried and I could tell she was getting very worried, but she's not allowed to ask me about it and I'm not allowed to say anything about it. So there was just like literally the briefest conversation where I said, the only reason I'm still here is because I don't want to get a divorce. And she said, well, if you leave, I'll leave with you. Welcome to Unquestionable with your hosts, Charles Perry Phillips and Sophie Green, where each week we dive into real and raw conversations with experts, creators, thought leaders and CEOs. With our guests, we'll be exploring some of the unquestionable truths behind psychology, mental health and relationships to gain a deeper understanding of human nature. So let's get into today's episode. Uh, really appreciate you giving us your time. Fascinated to talk to you. We've got loads of stuff I want to talk to you about. But for the uninitiated, would you be able to give us a basic overview of what Scientology is? Sure. So <clears throat> I'll give like the, ch- the charitable description. Not that it's just a... a- international human trafficking cult (laughs) we'll we'll get to that bit we'll get to that bit yeah (laughs) so i mean you could say it could be said that scientology well what they call it is an applied religious philosophy and the applied part of that description is that uh well scientologists think of scientology as something you do more so than something you believe and the religious part of that statement or that description is that they do believe in the immortal spirit that's a genuinely held belief in Scientology, that we are all spiritual beings. We're immortal. We live forever. Dying isn't even possible, uh, much less an option. And uh, and um, so the applied is like when you hear, sometimes you hear Scientologists talk about auditing. Um, Scientology auditing is kind of like a talk therapy. That's the best way to kind of describe it. It's a one-on-one talk therapy. So that's where the applied comes in. The religious comes in and the belief in the immortal spirit. And the philosophy comes in because LRH fancies himself, L. Ron Hubbard fancies himself a philosopher. <laughs> and um, and and I mean, Scientology is, I, I, I take issue with calling it a religious philosophy, but it is a philosophy. It's an applied philosophy. And um, I guess in some respects, you could separate just what Scientologists believe from how the Church of Scientology uh, behaves. And so, um, Aaron, how did you get involved with Scientology in the first place? Was it something you were sort of born into or did you discover it? Yeah, I usually say I was born and raised in it, but I was four years old when my mom got into Scientology. So my mom was a a young single mother raising two identical twin boys, and she had left home uh, from Iowa at a pretty young age and moved out east and met a friend named Cheryl Scordato, who introduced her to Scientology. They were both about the same age. Uh, Cheryl also had a son just a few weeks older than me and my brother. And my mom got into Scientology very, very deeply, very quickly. She joined staff. Well, that gets into the weeds a little bit. There's kind of like three different levels of involvement in Scientology, uh, what you would call being a public, being a staff member, and being a Sea Org member. She jumped right to being a staff member. And some of my earliest memories are just being uh, in the Scientology org in Philadelphia uh, with a bunch of the other kids who were parked parked in the nursery because their parents were, uh, you know, working at the organization. Yes. Yeah, so and ha- then and then so- I was only and then I was only 12 years old when my mom actually took us out of public school and, and had to start working full time for Scientology. And when you say working, do you mean uh, like slavery? <laughs> 
Well, not in the coal mines. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, were you getting paid? <laughs> so pay in Scientology, uh, because Scientology staff members are considered religious volunteers. So pay is optional. I was eligible to receive pay. A week's pay in a Scientology org is sometimes 10 bucks, 15 bucks, 20 bucks. On Christmas, if you get 200 bucks, you're really happy. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and there's a portion of the Scientology staff members who are basically on full-time study to become Scientology auditors. And so those staff members, they're just studying all the time. And that's pretty much what I was doing right from the beginning, was just studying full-time. Uh, other than that, working in a Scientology organization is pretty much like working a clerical job in, in any other normal business. So it's hard to call it slave, like a slave. Um, but, but you know, when you, you've taken children out of school and you have them uh, doing whatever full-time. And when I say full-time, I mean it's all nine in the morning to 10 o'clock at night. Like okay. 10 o'clock at night. That's past That's past the time when my teenage kids are in bed. <laughs> yeah. So uh, are you getting any other educational studies? No. So no, my, my formal education ended in the seventh grade. That's uh, 12, 12 or 13 years old, depending on when you start school. Wow, wow. that's crazy. That's crazy. Is that legal in America? No. Oh. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> it's so fascinating. Just um, quickly, so what I'm getting from what you were saying about how your mum kind of got into it, she was quite a vulnerable woman then, I'm guessing, you know, single mother, kind of looking for some kind of control in her life. Is that fair to say? I think it's fair to say. I'm not sure that's what she would say. Um, I think she would say she was a very strong-willed, independent person who just always knew the truth was out there and always knew that the answers she was being given weren't the real answers. And when she found Scientology, the truth of it just resonated with her. And that was a matter of awareness and intelligence and all that kind of stuff. Scientologists would very much cringe at the idea that they got into Scientology for any negative uh, mm -hmm. reasons, mm, you know, of course. Yeah. But I'd probably come down close to the, to what you said. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So you, you, you referred to something called the Sea Org. Can you explain a little bit mm -hmm. about what that is? And that, that, as far as I understand, is a slightly higher, there's a slight hierarchy in, with regards to who can be a member of the Sea Org. Is that, would that be fair to say as well? Well, they're not really turning anybody away. Um, but, but it is, <laughs> it, it's this weird contradiction where they want you to think you're super, super special, sure, but, yeah, yeah. Um, but they're really taking anybody they can get. Mm. Uh, but however, in, in the Scientology um, hierarchy of organizations and the management structure, everything from continental management and higher, so continental management, middle management, international management, and a bunch of other sort of separate organizations are staffed by C organization members. Now the C org members are the people who sign the billion year contracts to work for Scientology for the next billion years. Um, that, that's I think that's something that's pretty, um, that's pretty much out there in popular culture, right? Scientology mm. and the billion year contracts. Yeah. So that's specifically Sea Org members. And so uh, uh, most of your Scientologists are what they just call public, which means you live in the real world, you have a normal life, but you pay to do Scientology courses and you pay to receive Scientology auditing. Then you have what they just call staff members. Uh, now there's about 150 Scientology organizations around the world. Uh, uh, the people who work for those organizations are the staff members. They're on two and a half year contracts or five year contracts. And once your contract is fulfilled, you're even Stephen with Scientology. You don't owe them any money. Uh, you don't owe them any work. Mm. 
So the CR members sign the billion year contracts. They don't live lives in the outside world. They don't own homes. Uh, sometimes they own cars. You can only have a relationship with another person who's in the Sea Org. You live in uh, Scientology provided housing. Uh, you eat in the Scientology cafeteria on the premises where you work. Um, your schedule is not your own. You're not allowed to just take time off. Well, you don't even get time off. Uh, you work seven days a week. You're on, I mean, you're, there's no such thing as being off the clock. So everybody has to sleep. But other than sleeping, if you're not sleeping, you're working. Um, meal breaks are 25 minutes. Like It's like the army, except the army has even more uh, people who are, who are in the armed services have even more freedom mm. than someone who's in the C organization. Um, and so there's about seven or eight organizations in Scientology that deliver what they call the upper OT levels, the confidential upper levels of Scientology, where you hear about Xenu, like on South Park, they talk about Xenu and body phaetons. Mm -hmm. Those are the upper OT levels. There's about seven or eight organizations in the world that deliver those OT levels to paying public. Those organizations are staffed by Sea Org members. There's about six or seven continental management offices in the world. Those are staffed by Sea Org members. Um, there's middle management that exists in Hollywood, California. That's staffed by Sea Org members. There's an international management base out in Gilman Hot Springs, California. That's completely staffed by Sea Org members. So now these Sea Org members are also considered religious volunteers. And they also work for 50 bucks a week if they get paid. And the pay is optional because they're religious volunteers. They can get paid nothing, which is most often the case. Um, I joined staff at the age of 12. Uh, at the age of 22, I joined the Sea Org. Uh, I met my wife in the Sea Org. Um, in 2006, after I had been in the Sea Org for four years, and my wife had been in the Sea Org for about 14 years, because she was also born and raised in Scientology. Mm -hmm. In about 2006, we left the Sea Organization together because she was pregnant. You cannot have kids in the Sea Org. And... Um, and so, yeah, from 2006 to 2014, we sort of existed as public Scientologists, but that's just sort of the default. If you're not on, if you're not in the Sea Org and you're not a staff, you are by default a public, but we weren't actually paying to do Scientology. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in 2014, things came to a head and we uh, officially parted ways with Scientology. And so day to day, as you're, when you're living in, the Sea Org, you know, you're married, you've got your life and your world kind of revolves around Scientology. Would you have said, looking back in hindsight, that you were unhappy or were there sort of red flags or was it just that was the way life was because that was how you kind of were brought up to believe was your normal? Definitely unhappy, but thinking this is just the normal, just going to make, ju just going to do the best I can with what I've got and where I am. Um, but definitely was not like excited to be there, happy to be there, wanting to be there, would have rather be, had been doing a dozen other different things. But it is so difficult to leave mm. depending on the circumstances. Uh, and there's so much kind of like shame and blame involved in the process of leaving. Uh, and plus, you never know if your spouse is going to come with you. You're not allowed to talk with your spouse about whether you guys both want to leave. If you are even found out to have had such a discussion, you'd both be immediately separated, um, put under watch, um, given some interrogations. And they would try 
to turn you against each other and convince you that the other one was the one trying to uh, put doubts into your mind about the value of Scientology and all this stuff and da 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 da. da. They'd try to salvage you both, meaning keep hold on to you both. Uh, but whoever they thought was most likely to stay is the one they would concentrate on the most. Mm, yeah, classic cult cult behavior. So that's interesting. Yeah, so did you, sure. <laughs> obviously, when you were working in the Sea Org, did you have experiences of doing that to other couples? Have you ever been in a situation where you're having to, you know, separate a couple in some way? And how does that kind of so, work? Is, that, is it just a so case of Chinese whisp whispers? Like, that's like you know, how, how, how are we going to get these two to hate each other? <laughs> so the part of the organization that I always worked in, uh, even from the age of 12, was the part of the organization, you could call it operations, production, delivery, just responsible for delivering Scientology courses and auditing to public who had already been, who had already paid for it, who had already been gotten to pay for it by someone else, mm -hmm. <laughs> who had already been scheduled to come in and do it by someone else. And they show up to get it and it's my job to deliver it to them. Because of that, as horrible as the Scientology experience is in totality, I never had to be involved in the parts that you hear the, like the worst stories of. Like, so the uh, the ethics division or the you know the HR division is the one responsible for like enforcing Scientology's ethics and justice policies. Those are the guys that would put somebody under watch, um, order someone to be interrogated. Um, uh, convince someone to divorce their spouse. That's usually division one, like the HR division. And, uh, you know, division two is the one that's like uh, getting people to extend themselves financially well beyond their means, getting them to cash in their, ch their child's college fund and their IRA and all this kind of stuff, take out a second mortgage. I was sort of isolated in my area of the organization, which is fortunate for me because it's probably the only reason I lasted as long as I did. Because e even though I, you definitely call me a true believer at that time, I was always intensely uncomfortable with the idea of trying to sell someone on Scientology, e even something as minor as trying to sell someone a book, mm -hmm. even something as minor as trying to get someone who was already in my course room doing a course that required them to have a book. I always felt slimy, even telling them to go downstairs and buy the book. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, so it's weird. Like I believed very, very strongly but only in certain ways. There was other parts of the whole thing. And it's like this sort of weird, um, like separation of things in my mind. Um, and, and to that point, there was, even a, there was even a moment when I was in the C organization in LA, I was over the entire division responsible for delivering all training and all, on all auditing. And one day at lunchtime, I was waiting for the course rooms to get out. I was supposed to give a briefing to all the students, something we wanted them to do. And I was just daydreaming. And I was like, Jesus, it, it, it occurred to me, I've never been in these guys' shoes. I've never been a public. I've never paid for Scientology. When I'm studying a course, it's because I have to. When I'm getting auditing, it's because I have to. And I said, God damn, if I was in these guys' shoes and I could do whatever the hell I wanted and I had all the freedom to choose, would I spend one penny of my money or one hour of my time coming into this building to read these damn books in these course rooms? Not for an effing second now you would think that would have been an epiphany for me mm. no that was just a thought 
Yeah, I mean, I guess now is a good time to mention for listeners that don't know much about Scientology that it definitely sort of positions itself as like a self-development scheme. Uh, For outsiders, you can go in and you can do courses on, you know, like relationships or if you want to get better at being a leader in your work. And and you can come in as an outsider and do these courses. And and for all intents and purposes, it they seem really... um, you know, like tempting to take because who wouldn't want to improve their life and work on themselves and stuff and and people pay good money to do that outside of Scientology really sometimes they pay even more money outside <laughs> of Scientology I mean anything you could ever buy from Grant Cardone is something you could get from Scientology for probably cheaper mm. uh all that personal coaching that personal enhancement um in fact uh the executive coaching in fact a lot of uh Scientology, auditors on the real world have just taken to calling themselves personal coaches because that's the accepted term in society for your, your little personal motivational guru. Mm. And uh, I mean, at the lower levels and, and actually even up through the higher levels, that really is how Scientology talks about itself, even to each other. You know, if saying, oh, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that. Oh, just go to your next level. I mean, it's like, it's very much like Nexium. If you guys have seen the Nexium stuff, the similarities there are uncanny. Mm. Um, I want to say it's very Tony Robbins-ish, but with this extra added layer of you're an immortal spiritual being with unlimited godlike powers. But I don't know. That might be something Tony Robbins says in some of his stuff. <laughs> I just, you, you, yeah. Like it's it's all designed to be very, very self-empowering. And and that sort of takes a bit of a of an insidious turn when, when you're talking about negative things happening to you. Because if you're an all-powerful immortal spiritual being... Mm-hmm. Uh, not only are you capable of improving anything in your life, but you're actually responsible for anything negative that happens to you as well. And that's that's um that 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 might be empowering again on some level, but they even push that when you're talking about you know uh, abuse against children. Mm. Mm. And is it true that when you kind of if something bad happens, they can t- either take it to be you know something bad bad is happening in this life or it could be something that you don't even know about that has happened in one of your many, many other lives. Is that true? 100%. In fact, because Scientologists believe we've all been around for like 76 trillion years, the chance of the true source of something negative that's happening to you just happens to be something from this lifetime, almost zero. Mm. The, The percentage of your existence that has occurred before this lifetime is much, much greater. And so the true cause of anything, audit, auditing processes, particularly at the mid to upper levels, almost always go back to billions and trillions of years ago to find, you know, what civilization you destroyed, you know, <laughs> yeah. what, what planet you ripped the atmosphere off of and instantly killed everyone on the planet to, And that's why something's happening to you today. Mm. I'm just like, seriously, honestly, imagining somebody listening to this podcast that has never heard of Scientology, like, huh? Like, wait, oh, so it's a religion. Wait, no, is it self-development? Oh, no, it's a cult. It's just a bit of everything. It's a smorgasbord of nonsense, really, when you get down to it. I'll tell you, the way people generally think of religion, Scientology wouldn't fall into that conversation. Mm. I, the only reason I even charitably go, well, m- maybe you could call Scientology religion is because I just happen to believe technically per the definition, you don't have to believe in a supreme being to be a religion. I mm. don't think uh, you don't have to believe in heaven or hell to be a religion. I don't think. Uh, 
And the only part of Scientology, and, and again, I almost go, I don't know if we're talking about in the eyes of the law, in the eyes of other religious people, in the eyes of popular culture, but the only thing that even could enter Scientology into the conversation of a religion is they do truly believe in the immortal spiritual being. And they do truly believe that Scientology auditing is the process by which you can regain your native godlike state. Now, it's a scam. It's a con. It's not true. But I'm not sure that disqualifies anything from the conversation of religion. And people have very uh, emotional feel, uh, you know, they get very emotional on this subject, mostly because people will get offended. How dare you imply that that thing over there is in the same bucket as my thing over here? And that's why I'm saying the normal way people would define religion, a belief in a God, a belief in an afterlife, a heaven or a hell, um, this, you know, maybe guideposts of morality. Scientology ain't that. Um, you know, you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. So, yeah. So if someone goes, is Scientology a religion? You kind of go, well, what do you mean exactly? Mm. So, yeah, I guess now would be a good time to explain as well that so Scientology as a whole is um comes from the writings of l ron hubbard um i was just curious if you you know obviously everybody in scientology knows who that is did you at that point have any inkling of the truth behind him and his life and his writings or was it just all you know the fiction that they kind of tell you in scientology i definitely believed everything they said about him in scientology interestingly enough though and this kind of goes back to the point of like, I never chose to do or believe in Scientology. It was just kind of the path I was put on. And they said, here, do this and get good at it. I never particularly cared about LRH mm. or I, I, I you know, I, I never held him in any reverence other than eventually coming to understand that everything he said is exactly what we were supposed to do. And the more the more of his writings that you knew the better you were at enforcing them, the better of a Scientologist you were. I never had this thing of like, oh, L. Ron Hubbard's a great man. I was like, I don't care. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I probably cared more about David Miscavige, who is the leader of Scientology, than L. Ron Hubbard. I definitely cared more about David Miscavige than L. Ron Hubbard. Sometimes Miscavige would issue an order and longtime Scientologists would be like, oh, this is it contradicts what L. Ron Hubbard said we were supposed to do. I was like, L. Ron Hubbard's dead. Yeah. Why mm -hmm. do I? Like, if there's a contradiction, I'll tell you who's going to win. David Miscavige. Yeah. Did <laughs> but, you? But, you know, someone who's a true believer would go, David Miscavige is a nobody. Mm -hmm. uh, like there's L. Ron Hubbard and then there's the rest of us. Who cares what who cares about David Miscavige? But, mm -hmm. you know, growing up in it as a child, David Miscavige is the one I looked up to. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess that's why you've got the defectors that still believe in Scientology, but, you know, have left because they don't agree with the way that Miscavige is running things. And then you've got people that leave because they that's right. It's complete nonsense. Did you ever meet uh, right. Miscavige? So never spoke to him face to face. I, I met him in the sense of I'm in the same room where he is and he's speaking to us, but mm. ne never shook his hand, never actually spoke to him. Was there a sort of reverence around him or were people afraid of him? How was that in general? Reverence for sure. I was never close enough to him to sense that fear um, in like a, a personal sense. But I can tell you when I was in the C organization in L.A., when it was known, oh, Miscavige was going to be coming to the base, 
executives were afraid at mm. all normal production activity would stop. Everybody would be assigned to white glove cleaning the entire space. <laughs> and it's interesting to say this, especially if there's former Scientologists listening, because if you want to make the organization very nice and pretty and clean, and if you really just care about Scientology policy, you would be doing that for the public. You would mm -hmm. be doing that because that's the standard you want your organization to have at all times. But that's not the way it was. People were doing it to make David Miscavige happy. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like, oh, oh we're busy doing our day-to-day -day lives. We're busy doing what we should be doing. Stop everything we're supposed to be doing and let's clean this place so Miscavige, so we don't all get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, it's... It I mean, it's, it's it's hugely fascinating, and the the, the idea around that, obviously David Miscavige and 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 the business and the monetary side of of the organisation. Now, I know that um, Scientology is a is a huge real estate owner. It's got lots of real estate, and the business model has been kind of, um, I guess, has gone tenfold bigger since David Miscavige took over. Would that would that be your understanding of it as well? If you're just talking about the money, then yes. It's interesting that he's managed to figure out how to uh, have more and more money with less and less members. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, <clears throat> you know, the real estate holdings, we're really not talking about more than a couple hundred buildings in the entire world. One of the reasons the real estate thing looks so big is because the real estate that they do have is so completely out of proportion to the members that they have. Like yeah. you could have a city organization that has maybe 50, 75, 100 members. They've got a massive 50,000 square foot building. Yeah. Um, you know, I happen to live in Clearwater, Florida, where Scientology probably owns like 30 or 40 buildings. Wow. Um, but uh, did I, I'm not sure if I got off your answer real quick. Uh, okay. So you said, has the business aspect of Scientology like 10x since Miscavige took yeah. over? Since about... 2000, 2000, um, since, since the point where Tom Cruise was given that freedom medal, uh, yeah. freedom medal of valor is really when the fundraising mechanism of Scientology went into overdrive. Um, before that event, it was called the IAS freedom medal of valor that Tom was given the most money you could be acknowledged for giving to Scientology was $250,000. If you gave more than that, nobody would ever know because there was no award for giving more than that. Mm. Now it's like $250 million. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and there's people who've given that much. Wow. So I guess, um, yeah, I guess that's how he's getting more money. <laughs> that's how he's getting more money. Yeah. And, and then, of course, there's the pressure to buy these massive buildings. Um, and, and that started in about 2004. And... Yeah, it's just something he's absolutely infatuated with. Now, I might make the argument. It's not so much that he needs or wants the money. It's that Scientologists have been told, you know, we've, we haven't necessarily spoken yet about Scientology's bridge to total freedom, right? That, mm -hmm. We mentioned the upper OT levels, right? Mm -hmm. We mentioned OT3. Well, the OT levels are at the top half of what Scientologists call the bridge to total freedom. As of right now, OT8 is the highest OT level that's been released to the public. They've been told that before L. Ron Hubbard died, L. Ron Hubbard finished OT 9 through 15, and those are just waiting in the vault, waiting to be released at the right time. Well, Miscavige's big secret is that there's no 
There's no other OT levels. Mm. L. Ron Hubbard did not leave behind anything. There's there's no other magical levels. And the way he's gotten away with not releasing these things or, or not having to admit they don't exist is L. Ron Hubbard said at one point that all Scientology orgs in the world need to reach a certain size before OT9 and 10 will be released. Well, Scientology orgs were not expanding. So Miscavige had to create this building strategy to go, hey, I've, I've found out, I've discovered why Scientology orgs aren't expanding. It's because our buildings are shit. <laughs> so we need these new massive buildings so that people will be impressed when they walk in the doors. He has to keep moving the goalposts. He has to actually create unattainable goals mm. so that he can blame Scientologists themselves for why OT9 and 10 have not been released. Mm. Oh, that's really yeah. interesting. And it's kind of reminiscent of, um, you know, in, in cults where, leaders tell everybody the world is going to end on this day and it gets closer and closer and the world doesn't end and then it's all these excuses yeah. well it's because of this and actually yeah. the world's going to end on this day it's constantly giving people an incentive and it's a control mechanism i guess yeah exactly fascinating because um, he doesn't need the money no. i mean mm. he he lives in scientology owned premises it's not like the more money he it's not like I mean, it's not like Joel Osteen. He's not he's not building new mega mansions. I mean, like what he's got is what he's got. He can go anywhere in the world. There's Scientology bases on every continent. He mm -hmm. has he has fancy places to live and stay wherever and whenever he wants. He can stay in anything owned by Tom Cruise whenever he wants. So it's not like it's just a thirst for money. Mm. really there really is more yeah. to it well money is power isn't it and i suppose if he's sitting on this perch that he, he i mean i guess he's only there because of the way he's kind of nudged his way into the position and i'm guessing you know that comes with a fair amount of fear you know he's probably scared of having his power ripped away from him when people realize that he's just full of shit basically <laughs> yeah i'd have to imagine so mm. yeah I, so yeah, I was wondering if we could talk a little bit on the whole use of celebrity and how Scientology has managed to gain so much power and money through uh, get, having celebrities kind of affiliated with it. But I, I guess Scientology got, I mean, certainly like John Travolta joined before he was famous, right? He was already, he wasn't as famous as he became, as, as he went on to be. Um I have to remind myself when he got welcome back, Cotter. It, did he get welcome back, Cotter, before Saturday Night Fever and all that stuff? I think he did, right? He got the TV show before the movie. Yeah. I think he'd already had the TV show before he got into Scientology. Because mm. it was already a big deal when John Travolta got into Scientology. I see. Um, the woman who told the who tells the story of how John got into Scientology, her name's um, Yvonne, but she goes by Spanky, Spanky Taylor. <laughs> and she's got some fantastic interviews out there. She has an interview actually with Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs. Do you know Mike mm. Rowe? You know who that is? I've heard his name, but I don't, I don't know a great deal about him. No, He's I huge in the States. Okay. Uh. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, so Yvonne or Spanky... <laughs> <laughs> when she tells the story about John, it's it's clear it was already a big deal when John came into the Celebrity Center. Mm. Interesting. Well, I, I'm as far as I'm aware, um, LRH was very 
keen on the idea of involving celebrities in 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 Scientology to give, I guess, a, a mark of respectability and also like a way of, in, I guess, putting it out to the masses and encouraging other people to join. So, I mean, that feels like it's been something from the beginning that it's been encouraged to try and involve high profile individuals. Absolutely. I think it really just comes down to the same for, for the same reason anybody wants a celebrity to market their product. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Get some influence. It's just like, except instead of Scientology having to pay the celebrities, uh, the celebrities end up paying Scientology. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And when you think about it, though, when you think about it, who's the only celebrity you think of when you think of Scientology? Tom mm. Cruise and well, Tom Cruise, John Travolta. Mm. What other major celebrities has Scientology snagged in the last couple decades? Mm. Well, they had Will Smith and Jada for a while, but yeah. that, that 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 didn't turn out so well. No. Um, Paul Haggis. What other? Paul Haggis didn't turn out too well. That didn't turn out too well. A lot of the Scientology celebrities that exist now are actually kids who were born and raised into Scientology Hollywood families and are now famous in their own right. Oh, that's wow. interesting. Uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Moss is an example. Mm. Uh, Giovanni Rabisi is an example. Um, Beck is an example. These, these are kids that were born and raised in Scientology. Um, Alana Masterson, uh, well, Danny Masterson hasn't turned out so well. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think, like for all the reputation Scientology has for being a big Hollywood religion, you go name some. <laughs> and other than yeah. Tom Cruise, and honestly, has Tom Cruise really worked out all that well? I mean, <laughs> so he's still a success commercially, but is he's also usually a punchline like people don't associate tom cruise and scientology and go oh i gotta get me some of that they go crazy tom cruise and scientology yeah we we use some of his quotes together don't we sometimes yeah, as a joke do, yeah. <laughs> well i was going to say about um tom cruise and interestingly I th it feels like scientology has started to influence his work now i you know we talk about the intensity and stuff and that sometimes taught within the the organization through through exercises and stuff that intensity and uh be, you know keeping eye contact and all that kind of stuff and um it does feel like the he's moved away from doing a lot of art house movies which he was doing in the late 90s to doing more kind of just action movies lots of machismo macho movies where he's like the you know obviously the leading man he's always been a leading man but you know very much more in that essence and i do wonder if there's an influence there from his time in Scientology? I feel that there is. Um, I, it's, you know, it's not like I could point you to some L. Ron Hubbard reference that Tom is applying by only doing these particular type of movies. But let me tell you, you wouldn't see Tom doing a Magnolia no, anymore. No, ever. <laughs> no. I mean, uh, and it would be, in my opinion, because he would think that playing characters like that would reflect negatively on what is expected of a Scientologist. Yeah. Um, there's something about, uh, I guess there is a Scientology principle that Tom would probably be applying, which is that an artist, um, should be trying to raise the emotional tone level of society and, you know, by doing, and in fact, when top gun came out, I saw a Scientologist posting in their secret Scientology Facebook groups that Tom and top gun had raised the tone level of earth. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Uh, oh, my big God. Words, yeah. Big words. <laughs> that's quite a review. Um, <laughs> that's right. That's, how, that's, what, that's yeah. what Empire Magazine said about yeah. it as well. Yeah. <laughs> but going back to your own experiences, um, 
obviously you you touched on the fact that you know you you met your wife in the sea org and that ha maybe having that conversation about like i i, I don't feel comfortable in the, in this organization anymore i want to get out how, how did those kind of things um start to develop were you able to have you know obviously you said earlier that it would be very difficult for you to have those kind of conversations and actually even sort of approaching the subject with your partner, knowing whether they were on the same page as you. Can you explain a little bit about how that kind of played out? There was only one very brief conversation that we had in Los Angeles where, <clears throat> so we worked in the same area, but we worked in different organizations. And she could tell I was not having a good time and not always where I was supposed to be when I was supposed to be there. And she was getting very worried and I could tell she was getting very worried, but she's not allowed to ask me about it and I'm not allowed to say anything about it. So there was just like literally the briefest conversation where I said, the only reason I'm still here is because I don't want to get a divorce. And she said, well, if you leave, I'll leave with you. Oh. Uh, okay. That was it. Wow. That was a 15 second conversation. There was no particular follow-up conversation. And then, um, and then she got pregnant and uh, you know, there's certain realities involved in how that occurs, but it wasn't a spoken agreement. It was an unspoken agreement. <laughs> and uh, I can tell you though, like, like at that point in time, getting pregnant was sort of your golden parachute out of the C organization. Mm -hmm. um, because you can't have kids and they can't strap you to a table and, you know, make you take care of the situation. So, um, you know, when she verified with a test that she was pregnant, we did have like a little private celebration like oh we're on our <laughs> way out of here <laughs> i love that <laughs> um that's amazing i was wondering if you could talk a little bit on um well first of all before we move on i know that you were sort of alluded earlier to the fact that it, everything sort of came to a head was there a moment when you know did you sort of like have a big confrontation or anything or so what happened is that um in 2009 the Tampa Bay Times, this was three years after we had left the Sea Org. Uh, the Tampa Bay Times wrote a series of articles about a bunch of high, uh, former high-level Scientology executives who had not only left the Sea Org, but they'd left Scientology. These were people who were famous in Scientology because th they were some of the highest executives who would be on stage addressing all Scientologists five or six times a year. Mm. Okay, that was sort of like, uh, holy shit something's not right. And um, that was like the first crack in the dam for me. Okay. Fast forward a few years later, another high level executive, former executive uh, named Debbie Cook sent out an email to all Scientologists in the world, basically saying L. Ron Hubbard is great. Scientology is great. David Miscavige is horrible. Mm, wow. That had a huge effect in the Scientology world, um, including on my mom. And I'm fast forwarding a bunch here. But eventually my mom got expelled from Scientology for sharing information about that email with other Scientologists. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they then came to me and said, I'm giving you the, uh, you know, abbreviated or shortened version. They then come to me and say, well, you have to disconnect from your mom. You basically have to never see or talk to your mom again, or you're going to get kicked out. Well, at that point, my wife's a Scientologist. Her entire family are Scientologists. We both work for different Scientologists. Our kids aren't Scientologists, but all their friends are. They go to a Scientology school. I'm like, 
and I just basically for a couple of years lied my ass off that I had disconnected from my mom mm. and it would get back to them. You know, people were sort of spying on us. It would get back to them that I wasn't really disconnected. Eventually they're like, okay, this guy's just going to keep lying to us about his mom. Right. And they're like, yeah, like, okay, you're out, you're out. So then they go to my wife and they say, well, you have to divorce your husband or you're out. And she's like, yeah, that's not going to work for me. And they go, okay, you're out. You're out. But then they go to her entire family and say, well, you have to disconnect from Heather and oh, your that. and her kids or you're out. And they're like, okay. Um, and so we haven't seen or spoken to her family, even though they live a few miles from us uh, in nine years. Oh my, yeah, my girls haven't seen their aunts, their uncles, their nieces, their nephews, their grand, their grandparents. And um, so when I say it came to a head, it wasn't like a huge explosion. It was like a couple years of many explosions. Mm. And the ironic thing sort of about during this process is we were trying not to get kicked out, not so that we could keep doing Scientology, but so that we didn't have to lose mm. everything and everyone we'd ever known. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. Like, it's one of the reasons I get I might in my YouTube channel sound a little gleeful and really happy about um, trolling Miscavige and Scientology as hard as I do is because there's still a part of me that's like, you dumb motherfuckers. This is your fault. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't even want to get kicked out. Like, you you brought this upon yourself. Mm. Um, and that doesn't sound very, like, high-minded or whatever. But there is still a part of me that's like, you guys make your own enemies. We were willing to let bygones be bygones. You would have never heard one word from us about uh, negative about Scientology or L. Ron Hub or, or ever. We just wanted to go on living our lives without you proactively trying to destroy them. And they're like, sorry, rules are the rules. Mm. <laughs> you know, oh, that's... It's, it's really insane. It's absolutely insane. It is. And I'm sure there'll be people listening that are kind of wondering, like, what, like, why would you, you know, give up your family and your all your kids and your grandkids and stuff for this organization? But it is really it is really hard to leave, isn't it? And you do kind of get brainwashed in a way. I, I, I wonder if you could speak on that a little bit and how, you know, in terms of your in-laws and uh, your wife's parents, why for them that would make sense to disconnect from you, you guys? So this is where the, the brainwashing or the conditioning enters in. So it, it goes back to that point. And this is day one in Scientology. You are an immortal spiritual being who's been, uh, who's existed for 76 trillion years and will exist for untold trillions of years more. You don't give birth to Thetans. Thetans are like God. They just exist. These are just bodies. Who cares? Uh. If you have a biological mother, that's your body's mother. Mm. That's not your mother. You've had trillions of mothers. Familial relationships become meaningless. Mm. Now, if you're in Scientology, familial relationships feel real and important. But once Scientology is like, okay, we need to convince you to disconnect from someone, that's when they sort of remind you, wait, wait. That's not really your daughter. You're a Thetan. Your daughter's a Thetan. She's made her own decisions. Scientology is the only, uh, only way to restore every being in this galaxy back to their native state. 
nothing could be more important than Scientology. And if you leave Scientology, you will never be restored back to your native state. You'll basically be stuck in the matrix. Scientology, if you really get what Scientology believes, it's very much like the matrix. And Tom Cruise and David Miscavige are like Neo. And they're trying to unplug everyone from the matrix. Oh yeah, 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 for real. The analogy is almost perfect. Wow. And 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 the the robots that are trying to uh, take the people and keep them plugged into the matrix, those are the evil psychiatrists that Tom Cruise mm. will never shut the hell up about. Okay, you clip, so you clip, you clip, Aaron, you clip. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite. You're glib. You're glib. Charles, Charles, you're glib. <laughs> I say that to Charles at least twice a week. <laughs> that's where the brainwashing and the conditioning comes in. Um, L. Ron Hubbard specifically says Scientology is the only thing you've never done before on your entire whole track. Whole track is what they call all of your existence prior to this life. Said so you've done everything before. You've been an emperor a billion times. You've been a queen, you've been a president, you've been a CEO, you've been a doctor, you've been a surgeon, a lawyer. Uh, the only thing you've never done before is Scientology. You're gonna throw that away for some you know, piece of crap that wants to argue, uh, complain about how we were too mean to them. I mean, Scientology will get very nasty. I mean, very vulgar and nasty about, um, uh, you know, describing people who are questioning and leaving Scientology. And and that's how they do it. That's how they do it. Well, I was going to ask you about that because, you know, from from the documentaries and stuff I've seen and, and uh, former members who've come out and, and are talking about it and they are sort of, I can say religiously then, but that's probably not the right word, but regularly, <laughs> regularly attacked um, and stalked in some cases, um, doorstepped by members who are basically kind of trolling them, you know, and, uh, you know, getting people being caught at airports and all sorts of stuff um, and being, yeah, and sometimes being filmed and, and then obviously, it, it, you know, like obviously even documented documentarians being filmed you know having Scientology recording their own making their own documentaries about you know to get the other side of the, the story and um, interestingly in, in England there's a there's a show called Panorama and there's a, a, a journalist called uh, John Sweeney you might have seen who who got very agitated with um, with with uh, some of the members of the uh, of Scientology who <clears throat> who had been ragging him basically um, and, and needling him for quite some time so can you speak on that a little bit? Because that that that's it's very unusual for an organisation to do something like that to what you would, in I guess you would constitute as enemies, I suppose. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. and I love it when people refer to others as enemies. <laughs> it's so dramatic. That's exactly what L. Ron Hubbard called them: enemies of Scientology. Mm. And, and, and I'm going to answer this by reflecting it back onto what Scientologists believe about the value of Scientology. Uh, that Scientology is what will unplug us all from the matrix. And that poses an existential threat to the people that actually run this planet who are trying to keep everybody plugged into the matrix. And that those powers operating behind the scenes are the ones who control the media and you know control big pharma. And because Scientology poses such an existential threat to the powers that be, they operate these organized attacks against Scientology in the press, through government agencies, the DEA, the IRS, the FBI, you know, the CIA, all this stuff and all the other organizations around the world. And uh, L. Ron Hubbard succeeded in convincing Scientologists that anything negative you see about us in the press is because 
they're terrified of us and we're succeeding. And, and he, he even inverted this entire thing that the more attacks you see against us, the more we're succeeding. And so when you, and that even trickles down to like, if you're in the bubble, you can sort of understand how you can see people outside of the bubble as this threat. But this also applies to people who were once in the bubble and then leave. They were a spy. They were working. They were, they were, <laughs> they were sent in to undermine us. They've gone to the dark side. Um, they, they didn't want to confess uh, once they got into Scientology and then they realized they were going to be forced to admit to these crimes for which they could be imprisoned and they decided they'd rather leave. So, and L. Ron Hubbard even said, anytime you see someone criticizing Scientology, investigate their background, you will find crimes for which they could be imprisoned. And he said, and if you don't find the crimes, make them up. And <laughs> that is, wow. he put it in writing. He puts this stuff in writing. Oh and God. that's what you'll see. Every single person, I mean, you're talking about John Sweeney and even Louis Thoreau yeah. um, were followed and harassed and heckled. One of the reasons, by the way, when you saw John Sweeney blow up, mm. that's what they were trying to get him yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 To Tommy Davis, Tommy Davis is the guy he blew up to. He even um, told Miscavige, he's like, I'll be the guy. I know how to mm. push his buttons. I'll get under his skin. Yeah. And you see, he kept interrupting John and interrupting him and accusing him of something. And then when John would try to explain, interrupting him, until John Sweeney just lost it. That was intentional. Mm. Um, so on the one hand, they're trying to expose everyone as criminals. On the other hand, they're just trying to make it as unpleasant as possible to ever do any press coverage about, negative press coverage about Scientology. Mm. And uh, every single person who appeared on Leah Remini's Scientology in the Aftermath show, every single person got a dedicated hate website created about them by Scientology. Wow. I wonder my <laughs> name, my name, Aaron Smith is a hate website created by Scientology Oh, wow! that they created. And by the way, each of the websites were published. Like, I don't even know how they knew when these episodes were going to publish the website against me went live the night my episode aired. Wow. Ooh, and they weird. updated mm. that was five or six years ago. They've just recently in the last month up updated and refreshed the entire website with like 20 new videos of people. These, these like P POW style videos of Aaron was the worst Scientologist I've ever worked with. Everyone was terrified of him. He chased me around the organization. I had to hide under the desk to get away from him. I saw him beating an old lady, like the, <laughs> the craziest shit. <laughs> uh, that, is, that is hilarious. That's quite flattering. It's in the DNA. It's like in the DNA of the organization. Like they can't help it. They have to do it. And even if the lower level people would be like, this is kind of a waste of time, right? This makes us look worse than, than it makes them look. David Miscavige will be running around losing his mind like why am i the only one who does anything why do none of you defend me you guys aren't doing anything you don't care if these people destroy scientology so these people have to run around and produce these videos and do these videos just to keep miscavige from getting pissed off just like i said earlier people would run around and clean the organization just for fear of what would happen if he showed up and it was dirty wow it's, that is Fascinating. <laughs> There's so much to unpick from all this. Um, yeah. I was oh, oh, sorry. No, no, no. Was, uh, well, I wanted to go back to um, how it's been adjusting to coming out of the organisation. I mean, obviously, what were the what were the initial logistics of you know coming out, and then 
I guess there was lots of stuff you'd not been exposed to. So I guess adjusting to normal life, inverted commas. For me, it was probably easier than most others. And here's why. So I started working full-time for the organization when I was 12. But there was a period, because remember, you don't make any money working for this organization. There was a period when I was... Was I 16? I'm going to get the dates and the ages wrong here. There was a period when I was still working full-time for Scientology in Philadelphia, but I had to get a job that paid the bills because Scientology doesn't pay the bills and there's just realities of life. You got to eat, you got to pay rent, you got to have a car. And I went out to one of these temporary employment agencies. Remember, I didn't have a high school diploma. I didn't have a GED, but they don't check these things. I just said that I did. (laughs) So I went out to one of these temporary employment agencies and I did all their little tutorials, Microsoft Word, Microsoft Excel, PowerPoint, Outlook, all the emails and everything. And I just did their little tests until I got like close to 100% on every test. And I was very, I presented well, I communicated well and everything. Through these temporary employment agencies, I was able to get real jobs in the real world as my day job to pay the bills while I, on nights and weekends, I was working full-time for Scientology. This, so this was probably from the age of 16 to 22. I lived in the real world and worked in the real world while also working for Scientology. Then when I was, and during that period, I bought a house. I bought my first house when I was like 20 years old in Philadelphia. Okay. Then when I was 22 years old is when I joined the Sea organization in LA. Now, normally when you join the Sea org, you'd have to get rid of something like a house, except the house that I had purchased, a lot of the Scientology staff members in Philadelphia were living there. So if I sold the house, where the hell were the staff members going to move? So I kept the house the entire time I was in the Sea org. So by the time my wife and I left the Sea Org, not only did I already have a lot of real world work experience, but I had an asset that I had a bunch of equity in now as well. So I wasn't I wasn't poor. Even still, we left the Sea Organization, moved to Clearwater. Well, Clearwater is kind of like a little Scientology community. So I was very easily able to find a, a job working for a, a business consulting group run by Scientologists here in Clearwater. And And as long as you've got, you're doing okay financially, a lot of the other hardships involved in leaving Scientology uh, are easier to bear. You know, if if Scientology is destroying your family, imagine how worse it is if you're you're worried about paying your mortgage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hard for me to even wrap my head around just how stressful that is for a lot of people and how, even though as stressful as it was for me, how much worse it could have been. So- I wasn't someone who, by the time I left the Sea Org, had no real world experience. Um, and and remember, working in the Sea Organization is very, very much like working in a corporation. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, one of the sort of uh, carryover benefits is that the, the work ethic of someone who spent a decade or more, wor- you know, working for Scientology is insane. Mm-hmm. So you're working 100 hours a week for nothing. You are like the world's best employee. You're not going to be bitching about how long your lunch breaks yeah. are. You're not going to be asking for a half time, double time, overtime. You're happy just to have a freaking job. I mean, when I started, you know, first making $400 a week out of the Sierra, I was like, I'm rich. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, I mean, I didn't, yeah, the real, the real world wasn't a, an unfamiliar place to me. 
And I've also, I don't know why, I've never had a problem figuring out how to talk without using the Scientology language. If I'm speaking with other Scientologists, I actually prefer to use, or other former Scientologists, I actually prefer to use the language. I know some people say that's really bad. Um, but I, I've never struggled with how to say things without using the language. Um, Could you give us an example so, of what that might sound like using Scientologist language? <laughs> <laughs> um Oh God, that's that's embarrassing. Um, okay, so what would be an example? So out of calm. Oh, he's this person's totally out of calm, and uh, they must have an ARC break with me because they're totally out of calm. And I don't know, have I? You know, <laughs> Ooh, it's really cringy. I don't, I don't, I, I'm a little embarrassed. Trying to work out. Uh, what that I mean, means. <laughs> yeah, ARC break just means you're upset with them. Out of calm just means they're not responding to you. They're out of communication. Like Scientology's got acronyms for acronyms. They've got abbreviations for abbreviations. <laughs> you know, they 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 surpass the military in abbreviations and acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> Weird. Oh dear. Yeah, it's just so it's hilarious <laughs> listening as an outsider especially so, but but you've seen the tom cruise the tom cruise black turtleneck video yeah, oh yeah uh, yeah yeah you know with the mission like it's all about ksw and, yeah, uh, yeah you know there's so much scientology in that it's hilarious yeah that's the with the mission impossible music in the background isn't it that one yeah <laughs> yeah that's a quite intense there's a quite intense few minutes that uh that interview um, yeah, I was going to ask, so we kind of have touched on this a little bit, but there's within Scientology, there's obviously auditing, which I guess would be some kind of like talking therapy type thing. And then there's been accusations over the years of Scientology then using footage or, or you know, records of auditing sessions as sort of leverage against people that want to leave. Is that true? Does that does that happen? If you listen to the stories, I'm, I'm going to say no, um, because if you listen to the stories, that's never the sequence it happens in. No one's ever threatened. If you leave, we're going to do this to you. That, that that doesn't happen. What happens is if you leave, because if you do leave, but you just keep your mouth shut and you don't talk smack about Scientology and you don't go on any news programs or TV shows, they're not going to publish anything about you. I mean, they might be privately talking crap smack about you to Scientologists, but you're not getting a website. You know, <laughs> they're not, they're not sending letters to all your clients trying to get them to fire you. Uh, you can leave Scientology if you keep your mouth shut. Uh, there's hundreds of thousands of people who, as we speak, are no longer Scientologists and Scientology just leaves them alone because they keep their mouth shut. Um, so that's why I say people ask me, is Tom Cruise in Scientology or John Travolta? Cause they're going to threaten to mm. out him as being gay or whatever. Mm. No, no. Now, when, when you do see all the websites that they put up for people who do speak out and all the hate videos and all that kind of stuff, that does serve as sort of a signal to Scientologists. Like if you leave, you better just leave and yeah. move on and keep your mouth shut. But nobody's stays in Scientology because they're being threatened with blackmail. That's really just not a thing. Now, people stay in Scientology because of fear of the disconnection that will happen when they leave. But I'm I'm putting disconnection in a different category as the black blackmailing with dirt. Mm. Disconnection can happen to anybody. Um, but even then, if you leave Scientology, but you don't say it publicly um, and you keep your mouth shut, even your Scientology friends and family won't have to disconnect from you. 
It's only if you, if you post something on Facebook about how much you loved Leah Remini or her TV show, <laughs> mm-hmm. if you post a link to one of my videos on, on your Facebook page and, and, and you're a former Scientologist, now people are going to start disconnecting from you. They won't publish dirt about you unless you yourself are in the media speaking out against Scientology. Okay, interesting. I was going to say, Aaron, like what started this part of your journey? Like the, the sort of kickback against Scientology, the, the, the trolling, as you call it, like what and and the, and obviously doing the podcast and, you know, you know, you've obviously yeah. done a lot of podcasts as well and talking to us today about it. So what, what started that kind of part of your journey? So it's been a gradual, gra- uh, some, gra- uh, a gra- some gradual steps. So I have to double check when I started the YouTube channel. It, it might have been seven years ago. And it didn't, it started, uh, and the name gives it away a bit, growing up in Scientology. It started because most of the stories that were being told about Scientology were being told by people who joined Scientology. And you, it's a completely different experience and perspective for the generations of people who, who didn't join. They were just put into it. And that was the original idea for the channel. And also there just weren't a lot of platforms out there where former Scientologists could tell their stories and have editorial control or, or control the platform the stories are being told on. You'd have to go to this blogger or this mm-hmm. newspaper or whatever. And those people have their own heavy, heavy biases when they tell the stories and tend to look down their nose at people for ever having been involved in Scientology. And so it really just started out as let's offer a fresh perspective and, uh, and a safe space, if you will, um, for second, you know, second generation, third generation, fourth generation Scientologists to tell their stories. And that wasn't even, I mean, I almost never even uploaded to that channel. It was very rare. And then Leah Remini's show started and I was in the first season of that show. And then I think it was in the second year of the Leah Remini show, a handful of us created the Aftermath Foundation to help people who are leaving Scientology. And so then my channel sort of became a way to raise awareness about the Aftermath Foundation. And even then I didn't start, I wasn't uploading regularly to my channel until about eight months ago. And I, I don't even remember what it was. It was, um, I had run for Clearwater city council last year and I almost won the election, but I lost. And the loss for me was very embarrassing. So I sort of licked my wounds and went into seclusion for like six months. And then after that, and then after six months, I just sort of came out and just started posting every day. Mm. (laughs) And I, and then, and then it sort of, as I started posting every day, it occurred to me, this is a medium. This is a platform. I'm talking about YouTube mm. that Scientology can't do anything about. They don't know what to do about this kind of content and this kind of exposure because anything they try to do to me actually raises my profile. Mm. I'm like, this is the way to get them to the new media is something Scientology doesn't know what to do about. Scientology and the internet does not mix. Mm. 
So Scientology versus the internet, the internet wins every time. Mm. And, you know, it occurred to me also that before, whenever I would do a video, I felt like, oh, it's kind of a one and done. Like every video felt like it had to have a certain level of importance and content. And, oh, this is going to be the video where I tell everyone X. And then it occurred to me, that's not how the internet works. No one watched your damn video. (laughs) (laughs) You could tell the same story a hundred different times. It's getting to a different audience. Not even all your subscribers watch every video that Mm. you do much less the people on the internet. And, you know, it just occurred to me, like, this is the way to expose the world to the horrible abuses of Scientology. It's not just a documentary. It's not just a TV show. It's a YouTube channel and dozens of YouTube channels where Scientologists with all sorts of experiences are telling their different experiences from their own unique perspective. This is how you do something about Scientology. And I just decided to be ubiquitous about it. And, and, and really it also comes down to every video is also uh, sort of an excuse, a justification to spread the word about the Aftermath Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause that really does drive David Miscavige crazy. <laughs> and we've been so incredibly successful helping people leave Scientology at public staff mm-hmm. members and Sea Org members. Um, and it's just, it's come to be something I, I I have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And it's just, it, again, I know I'm repeating myself, but I feel like it's the one weapon Scientology can't fight back against. Mm. And, and any anytime they try, it backfires. So I figured why not wield that weapon as often as possible? Yeah. yeah. And I know that they kind of try to stop members from, you know, reading any books or listening to any content that's anti Scientologists, I kind of shield them from all of that. Do you think that there are Scientologists that listen to podcasts and watch YouTube videos and stuff in secret? Do you think that goes on? Oh, I know there are because they contact me. Oh, <laughs> good. Because I was going to say, if your if your aim is to kind of reach the reach that population of people who are considering leaving and and letting them know about the Aftermath Foundation, then that you know is perfect. Exactly, and then exactly that point. And then it goes back to the fact that if that's your goal, you can't do it a handful of times and think you've done it. Mm. You've got to do it over and over and over and over again. A Scientologist is going to stumble into YouTube today that isn't seeing the video you did last week. And it's also why one of the one of the things I really try to do in my videos is to be I know I make fun of Scientology a lot, but I make fun of it in a fair and accurate way. The shit that I make fun of is shit a Scientologist would giggle at. (laughs) (laughs) And I want that they're told that we're all such evil, horrible, suppressive people who are working for Big Pharma to destroy Scientology. That, again, it's one of the reasons I want to put up so much content so much uh, so much of the time. I want them to stumble upon my videos and go, wait, wait, this guy really knows what he's talking about. Mm. And yes, he's being critical, but he's being very fair. He's pretty funny. I wonder, I wonder what else he has to say. And, and um, it's just been incredibly effective. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Mark Headley and his wife, Claire Headley, but they've got a YouTube channel as well called Blown for Good. They're on the board of the Aftermath Foundation. I mean, you're probably familiar with Mike Rinder. He was the co-host with Leah Remini on the Aftermath show. He's got a YouTube channel as well. We do a lot of collaborations where we just sit, where we'll do like um, a, a live stream where the four of us are just sitting around telling stories, uh, you know, war stories from various things in Scientology. That's the kind of stuff that I really hope Scientologists are going to stumble upon and go, these guys are really enjoying their time mm. out of Scientology. They're yeah. happy. They're successful in life. 
that's not exactly the picture that was painted for us <laughs> about what these guys were all about. So that's my goal. Like be everywhere all the time mm. to the degree that we can. Amazing. Well, you're doing an amazing job and it's, and it's such a worthwhile cause as well. Cause obviously you've experienced it, you know, you're now living your life outside of Scientology and the, there are people still in it. And I think it's really easy for people to judge and be like, oh, these people that, you know, they're in Scientology because they're idiots or like they're cowards because they don't want to leave and stuff. But you're sort of raising awareness for why it is that people, you know, either get into Scientology or are brought up in Scientology and how there is hope to leave. So, yeah, it's really, really great. Thank you. I was going to ask one more question, Aaron, and it was around that, like what the future lies for Scientology. I mean, obviously it appears a lot of people are leaving the organization. So how, how do you foresee the next 10 years going for Scientology? I think membership wise, they will continue to decline. Uh, I don't think they ever go to zero. Uh, well, it's David Miscavige. As, <laughs> What's that? It's David Miscavige Scavage and uh, Tom Cruise, I guess are going to, yeah. they're going to always be, be, be at the bar They'll be at the barricades. To the to the they'll to the always, last bit, <laughs> like they'll always have each other since yeah. since yeah. neither of them can seem to hold on to a wife. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I uh, think in ten years we'll see. Within ten years, I think we'll see Scientology lose their tax exemption. Yeah, and uh, that good. will be what causes because up until now their membership's been declining, but their dollars have been rising. Mm. When they lose their tax exemption, we'll see the tide turn, and both membership and dollars mm. will be on a downward trend. And you know. Scientology doesn't have any debt. Uh, there's nothing, even if they lost their tax exemption, it's not going to cause them to start liquidating assets. But what it will do is remove this very special type of protection they have in the US courts. Um, because of their religious recognition, their tax exemption, they have a particular type of exemption uh, protection in the courts that protects them from an awful lot of lawsuits that once that exemption is removed from, mm. It's going to be a deluge. I mean, you, do you know Scientology's never won a jury trial in its entire history? Did really? you know that? No. Mm, no. When you hear of Scientology having a victory in court, it's because they've gotten a case thrown out mm. or they've settled. They've never won a jury trial in their existence. Okay. Just so they know that. And that's why they they use this protection to almost get everything against them thrown out. When they lose their exemption, it's it really will be the beginning of the end. And I don't know exactly how we define end, because like I said, it'll never go to zero, but it will be, the they will not be able to continue to accumulate more money. It'll be a gradual lessening of funds and resources. Oh, well, that's why I mentioned the lawsuits because um, yeah, you could see Scientology held accountable in various suits for just hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm. And, and once, and then you're going to get an accelerated loss of membership, mm. you know? So I don't know how long it takes. I don't know exactly how close to zero it gets. Will it eventually just be Dave and Tom in a bunker? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> One well, can hope. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Aaron, honestly, it's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, so many insights and so many things to take away from it. So really appreciate your time and uh, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Unquestionable. We'd love to hear from you on social media by searching for Unquestionable Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.